This is the Shanice Lewis Show, the number one podcast for plus-size women. With your host, the queen of curvy conversation, Shanice Lewis. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Shanice Lewis. Today is Monday, April 4th, 2016. Stay connected with me in between shows on Instagram at Shanice Lewis, on Facebook at Shanice Lewis Show, and on Twitter at Shanice Show. Today we have a very special guest on the show, Jasmine Elder. Jasmine Elder is an American fashion designer and the creator of the plus-size contemporary women's label, Jabri. Jabri is dedicated to creating garments for the fashion-conscious curvy woman, sizes 10 to 28. The designer concentrates on pieces that flatter all plus-size body types. Jabri includes classic wardrobe staples as well as timeless standout pieces. Each collection includes a variation of garments made with lush fabrics that focus on fabulous fit. Jabri Designs has been worn by many celebrities including Tamala Mann, Tasha Cobbs, Kiara Sheard, Jill Scott, Takara, Amber Riley, Brittany Howard of Alabama Shakes, Tess Holliday, and Gabourey Sidibe, and Lonnie Love. Jabri has been seen in Lucky, Marie Claire, Bus, Cosmopolitan, Uptown, People Style, Essence, and In Style magazines. Let's welcome Jasmine to the show. Hi, Jasmine. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Excellent, excellent. Thanks for having me. Well, I looked at your Instagram um, getting prepared for this interview, and I saw a post that you made that caught my attention. A post you made said, I had 42 jobs, and I don't know how I ever thought I belonged in any other industry. Now, in my opinion, you are one of the top indie plus-size designers, but this quote tells me it didn't happen easily or overnight. Were there times that you wanted to quit being a designer, and if so, why? Actually, I never wanted to quit being a designer. I just never really knew I would be one. You know, I loved what I did. I loved um, making clothes. I loved creating these looks, and I just kept working. I didn't really know what I was working for. And then one day it kind of became clear what my purpose was. And so at that point I kept going, but I've never, I've honestly never wanted to quit. I love every minute of it. And so out of these 42 jobs, all of them wasn't necessarily fashion related. Those were just the jobs to pay the bills. Oh, they're absolutely not. They were not fashion related at all. I've done everything from I've cleaned houses, I've been a bartender, waitress, nanny, um, worked in retail. I actually worked on Wall Street for a little while after college. Um, I mean, a million jobs, all different industries. I have no idea why people kept hiring me, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, don't you check my references? I've worked a lot of places. (laughs) <laughs> well, I guess you've never left on bad terms, so you're you're. No, I haven't. Uh, I haven't. <laughs> that was good. So, did you ever feel that you had to be in New York or LA to take your brand as a fashion designer to the next level? 
Um, I, I went to New York directly after high school for college. I went to NYU. I didn't go to fashion school. I've never studied fashion formally. Um, and when I went to New York when I was, like, 17, I wanted to just be in New York coming from Atlanta. And I thought, okay, if I can get to New York, you know, I'm going to – it's going to help me blossom into the woman I'm supposed to be. But I, at that point, I had no clue that I even had a, a chance. It was not a industry I'd ever seen anybody who looked like me be in. So I just – it really wasn't even a goal. I just loved, you know, fashion. I wanted to be in New York just to see the people. I was a club kid. And then um, I stayed in New York for many years. I left after September 11th, moved around like a million other times, and then I came back to Atlanta. And honestly, I can't imagine living anywhere else now. You know, it probably would be ideal for me to live in New York or L.A. at this point, but it's very. I think being in Atlanta is comfortable for a, a person like me, an artist, so you can afford to basically make some mistakes here. Whereas in New York, I don't know if I I ever would have gotten to really jump out there because I would have had to work so much harder just to survive. Whereas in Atlanta, you know, things are a little expensive, so, you know, it's a little easier here. So new plus-size designers look up to you as inspiration and a staple of a successful independent plus-size designer. Now, would you advise a new designer to spend more money on their budget on their photo shoots and marketing or participating in multiple fashion shows? Well, I I don't know if it's a, a known fact, but I do not like fashion shows. Um you don't? at all. I do not like participating in fashion right. shows, which is why I don't do very many of them. Because um I am a person who even when I didn't have anything at all, and even now when I still don't have what I would like to have my visions are huge, and it's like I would always want to do things on a scale that was, you know, as close to perfection as I could do it. And, I, you know, it's, it's always been very difficult to do that when you're not back financially. And when I think a lot of times when you're on the outside looking in, you look at these Fashion Week shows and you think Mark Jacobs, but Mark Jacobs doesn't pay for those shows. So he mm-hmm. can do, you know, Cirque du Soleil coming out of the ceiling and all this kind of stuff. But if you're a new designer you need to focus on your actual craft. You know, you don't have to put your energy into the bells and whistles. And I think shows are for entertainment. So unless you're a person who is not really dedicated to your craft and you just want to show things and make an exciting show, but you're not really trying to develop yourself as a real designer, then go ahead and do a show. Otherwise, you need to really, the most of your budget needs to go into your craft because you do a show and then what? Then, I mean, so right. you do this big show, you spend all of your money on it, and you can't even produce the stuff that you should show. No right. one can the even people order are ready to buy it, and you don't have it yeah, available. Yeah, you have no way. Absolutely. So it's like you might want to participate in more modest shows if you want to use shows as an avenue to be put out there on the street, you know, for your name to be out there. But put more mm-hmm. of your energy and more of your money into your behind-the-scenes stuff. Like a show is like it's entertainment at this point, for plus especially in my opinion. And what about the exposure? Do you think the exposure is priceless, or do you think when you just have a good brand, the word is going to get around? I think um, the way I've developed has been very organic, and I've been extremely blessed that I've participated in some of the um, events that have, when they were on the forefront. So, you know, when Mm -hmm. things were just happening, plus I got a chance to participate in some of this stuff. 
what I would say shows did for me more than anything else was it boosted my confidence because mm-hmm. I didn't know people really would like what I was doing. You know, I've been making clothes since I was like 14, 15 years old, and I didn't know anybody wanted them. And so mm-hmm. when I when someone asked me to do a show and I did it, I didn't know it would turn into that. And so that for me was like, oh, wow, I do have a consumer. So I would say it can help you on that level maybe um, as far as exposure is concerned. But nowadays you have social media. There's so many other avenues that are far less expensive than participating in right. a show. And if you find a show that really is going to cost you nothing, but I don't believe that they ever do. <laughs> you know, you always have to put something into it. You know, you have to pay the models. You have to, your your hair, your makeup. Like if you want your stuff to be shown in a certain way, which is why I'm so particular about the shows that I participate in, because even to this day, I refuse to let my models be treated, you know, any kind of way just because they're plush. Like I just don't like that. Mm-hmm. So it's important mm-hmm. for me to, you know, to be able to provide the things financially to make sure all of my things look the way I want it to look, not just thrown to the back because it's novelty to have plus now. And then, but then you really don't want to, you know what I'm saying? You really don't want to put right. the same energy into my models as you do into other things. So it's nothing that's free. So for I would tell them, use your, you, for exposure, use some of the free venues right now, which would honestly be social media. Right, right. Now, how often do you come out with a new collection and lookbook? Um, I used to only do uh, fall, spring, and holiday. And then, Mm -hmm. honestly, I I swear social media has changed everything for so many different industries. Fashion, for sure, is one of them. And um, the fast fashion that comes out requires even designers like me to put things out a little more frequently. Mm-hmm. So though my core collections are my fall, spring, and holiday, I've added, like, my swim covers. Or I put those out. And sometimes I'll do, um, like, a secondary spring collection. A lot of times mm-hmm. I'll break up my collections into maybe three, and I'll, break, you know, I'll release them in parts of three so that there's always something coming out. You don't want to go, like, too many months without having anything new coming out to people. New. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so my main ones are fall, spring, holiday. And then, then I maybe have about four subcategories that I release throughout the year as well. Now, speaking of your um, collection and lookbooks, your lookbooks always look amazing. Now, it was an article, an article came out today. I don't know if you had a chance to look at it. It was um, on the bus, uh, bustle website and um, Elise from ready to stare interviewed some indie designers uh, about okay. some of their, um, experiences in the plus industry. And one of the things a lot of the designers said is putting together photo shoots is so expensive that a lot of them can't afford to do it because after you pay agencies, a photographer, a hairstylist, a makeup artist, it, it, to do it really well, it could cost, you know, $10,000 depending on how exclusive, right, so do you think it's an advantage when it comes to being in the South for you to be able to do things like that at a lower cost, or is that something you still have to deal with? I have to deal with it, but in a different way. Like um, those 42 jobs have taught me so much. So I have learned how to do a lot of things on my own. Like a lot of people don't know. I don't work with stylists. I'm very particular about the way everything is done, so I do my own styling. Um, a lot of times I do my own sets, um, my own creative. 
for many of the looks that you see, like not just the whiteboards, but all the the decorative things. Those are things that I don't have a staff to do. So whereas people, um, I think sometimes when you're in New York and L.A., it kind of makes you, you're around so many people that have other people to do it for you that you consistently mm-hmm. pay other people. I'm not mm-hmm. in that position. And in the South, even when I look for people like, oh, let me find a person who does that, I can't find them down here. So I have to do them myself. And um, mm-hmm. I've, so maybe that's where I can cut costs a little bit. But where I do get shot in the foot that people in New York and L.A. have an absolute advantage over me are the availability of the growing number of beautiful plus-size models because um, since I do, you know, the several collections at this point, mm-hmm. it's not really cost-effective. And I like to limit my stuff, too. So you have to also have to realize the type of designer that I am. I'm not a hugely mass-produced um, designer. So I okay. do a lot of fabrication. You know, there are things where I people don't know. I might hand-paint a 1,000 yards of fabric or I might hand-stitch the patchwork on things personally that could take months and months for me to create some some of the fabrics that I use. So, therefore, I'm able to limit them. So when I, a lot of times when I'm like, oh, it's sold out or it's a certain number of these, it's really I do that intentionally so that it's not oversaturated. And if you're only oh, going to wow. sell 100 of them, then it's not really logical to fly a model from, you know, Zurich to Atlanta <laughs> to shoot her because right. – I know that it's going to sell out in like two weeks and then I'll have to shoot again all over again for something new. So um, here I'm limited in the models that I actually have the availability to use. Um, Sometimes I see other designers who are newer than me and their models just like blow me away. So I try to work with some of the budding artists, some of the new, the bigger models are still outside of my price range. Right. Can't afford them. Right. Right. Far away. Yeah, so that they're right. Now you are expensive. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Now you, I'm just listening to you, and you just um, said something that caught my attention. How you will hand paint fabric, and a lot of things you still do on your own. I didn't realize that until you just said that. So you are still almost like a one woman show, even though like the web appearance you know, makes it seem like you are this big multi-organization. Right. A lot of times, I think, and I see that if you, I'm a person who watches like a lot of, um, seeing a lot of the other designers that are in the straight size world, they have like a indie channel and sometimes they'll show behind the scenes. And I saw a thing from like Proenza and Schuler maybe like six or seven years ago and listening to them talk about doing things themselves and I know I was doing everything myself, and I felt like such a failure because, you know, I I still was so connected to the stuff I wanted to do it myself. I couldn't afford to have, you know, specialty fabrics created, and I saw them in my head, so I just was able to do them myself. And when I saw that other people do that too, um, and then the bigger they get, you know, you are able to get it automated. But I like that. I mean, that's a part of what I actually love. I love um, having things limited. I love having things sell out. I love not walking into a room and, and seeing 10 girls with the same thing on, especially if it's something that I have created. I've never seen it before. I've never walked into the room and seen more than one person in the same jabri garment before. And that's something that I'm proud of. And so I will probably continue to do that for as long as I live. I love that part yeah, of it. Well, 
I think that's amazing. I mean, you are really a hard worker because, I mean, I would have never known you were doing all that, too. So that's oh, that's yeah. a testament of how, how passionate you are about your brand. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Now, you have a, a signature design aesthetic to your clothing that stands out from everybody. Now, for those listening who may not be as familiar with your clothes, tell us the type of clothing you carry. Um, my goal was always to create, like, a glamorous contemporary line for women. So it, to me, it's still an everyday line. I wear it every single day. Um, it, it's not a special occasion thing, although I know a lot of women do still consider it to be special occasion at some point. And I try to hit all of the the different, you know, tops, dresses, skirts, pants, all the different categories of garments, but it's it's really just a contemporary glamorous um collection for women who who have a, a particular aesthetic about the way they like to look. It's a definitely a more sophisticated look, not as trendy um as some of the other things and I do try to focus on our on you know, flattering cuts for all plus size women. So a lot of times people look at the pictures and they say, Oh, all the models are the same shape but honestly they're not it's just that I couldn't mm-hmm. get them to photograph themselves without the clothes on, but because I personally don't have the quintessential, you know, figure eight or a pear shape or whatever. But so I was right. my first customer, so I had to make sure I right. look good in them first. <laughs> so, right. so it does it does flatter an array of body types, um, despite what you may people may think from photographs. I just I love people to be a chance get a chance to try the pieces so they can experiment with different shapes, things that they would have never thought would look good on them. Um, I think I've kind of developed, like you said, my own signature look that mm-hmm. can pretty much work for any any body type and any um, any lifestyle, but just a woman who's looking for an edge of glamour. Now tell me about your new Poolside Collection 16. Okay, Um so I started these poolside pieces last year, and actually I've, I've been doing poolside pieces for about maybe five years. <laughs> I am the, actually the person who would wear a swimsuit, a pencil skirt, mm-hmm. a cardigan. <laughs> I would wear all of these things to the beach. It would be like a full a full look um, because I was <laughs> okay. never into this. I literally would. I'm not kidding. I would. I never wanted to like the big baggy t-shirt look. I hate that. You know, shorts. I don't wear shorts because of the way my legs are made. So I don't like when it rises up in the middle. It just never. I just hated that look. And then mm-hmm. I would see women and the. Um, I am a person who loves exotic travel. One of my 42 jobs is I worked for a, a travel agency, and we would go mm-hmm. on these beautiful trips, and um, that I stuff that I would have probably never even known places I never would have known existed, and the women would be very glamorous. But there would be no plus women that would be participating in those looks. And um, so I started to create this collection. So I put it out as a whim on a whim last year, um, and it was so well received that I realized I needed to continue it. And so that will be something that I do every year. So this year it's uh, just expanded on what I had done last year. It's going to consist of caftans. Um, probably jumpsuits of some sort, you know, sheer things, things that you can wear in a beach setting or a pool party or a yacht or, you know, different travel destinations that would be things that you would normally wear a swimsuit to but not necessarily prepare to swim the English Channel. You know, they're not – it's not necessarily to – you're not going to swim in it, 
but you're just mm-hmm. going to look gorgeous around look good. around. Exactly. So why is it um, 16? Why the number 16 behind the name? Oh, just just the year. Just the year. Oh, <laughs> that went over my head. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought I didn't even it I thought it meant it was your 16th collection. Oh, no. I don't even know what number I'm on yet. I don't know what number. I think I might have, you know what? I have to go back hmm. and count because we might be around 16 at this point. You could be right. Okay. <laughs> so do you, I might have do you, huh? I said, I might, have even missed I might have missed that. It might be 16. <laughs> So do you plan to eventually come out with the swimwear line? Um, I won't. I've no, well, I don't want to say I won't. I used to do swimwear. I've done plus size oh. swimwear before for myself and um I never sold it. Um I did do um exotic dancewear, which is kinda of like swimsuits. That was one of the things that I did in the beginning of my career. So I'm very familiar with how to create swimwear. But when I saw the other you know, honestly, when Monique C came out with her swimwear, I was so proud of her. Even though I'm not, I have only met her once or twice, but I do admire her from afar. I was impressed with um, the innovation of it, and I decided mm-hmm. at that point that I would not put my foot into that pool because I wanted, you know, I felt like that was her thing. And I, I loved that she brought uh, a different look to it, one that I mm-hmm. hadn't even imagined. And I try to let yeah. everyone... You know, I don't get in other people's pools. I let other people, you know, that's your thing. I think that's what we need in this industry is we don't mm-hmm. only need to try to do the same thing. You know, there's right. you know, there's a million different things that we could all be designing. Everyone has to do with their natural um, thing. So even if I make swimwear for myself, I will probably not do them professionally just because I don't. That's her pool, in my opinion. Now tell me about the price point of your line because it's pricey. But I never really seen people criticizing it. Like all on my social media, I see, you know, every time Debris comes out with a new collection, I'll, I'm, I'm gonna give my whole check to it. So people, <laughs> you know, I know you've seen it. Was like, ooh, you taking all my money, Jasmine. But it's really not negative. So as an upscale plus size fashion designer, was that an obstacle that you had to overcome? For people to understand, because the plus industry does not like to spend a lot of money on clothes. They don't, and it is criticized. It depends on where you're looking for it. And now I will, I applaud you for maybe if you look in certain places, certain bloggers, their following is one that's more um, into the fashion and not so much budget friendly. But if you look on some of the blogs and that's their focus, then I'm getting they dog me out to the to the to the dirt. Oh, really? Oh, my gosh. And sometimes I get offended by it, but I'm actually very understanding of it because I know, like you said, it's not that plus size doesn't want to spend money. It's a very new industry. It's very new. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, things are happening so fast for us right now. I think sometimes people don't get it, but it's like um, in my research, even of other, if you Google, like if you go to Nordstrom's.com right now and look up swim covers for, like, Masoni. They're like $1,600, mm-hmm. $1,600 oh. for rayon and polyester. Mine are silk chiffon. No, no offense okay. to Masoni. No beading, no hand beading, no hand fabrication like the things I've done. Um, some of my friends that are designers in the straight-size world consistently attack me 
for underpricing because they can't believe that I'm doing the amount of work that I do for this price. But I knew that I had to enter. That was something I wanted to do. I, I never wanted people to look at people who look like me and decide that we're all sloppy and none of us have any interest in glamour or anything like that. Um, but I know you can't just come out with a $1,000 collection, you know, you have to um they we've never had options like this before. So mm-hmm. if you put what I do next to some of the things that might be differently priced, if you own any debris, you already know the difference in what I do and what you may get for twenty dollars. So right, it's a right. it's a different thing, you know. So once people normally when even my little sister, you know, she was a is a person who definitely is a high low shopper. And the first time I made something for her, because she was like a, a smaller girl, but now she's like a, maybe a 10, 12, mm-hmm. but she's right at the my line. Every She wears debris every day now because she's been bitten by the bug. And she, like, just the way that it makes her feel, how easy it is to wear it, you know, the attention that she gets in it, how she feels like it flatters her body all the time. It's like once you get bitten by the bug, I feel excited when I hear women tell me these stories, but I know it's true. It's like, you know, you understand why. It's priced the way it's and eventually. And now, what is the, the price point? Tell us the price point. Oh, okay. It starts about uh, I think my lowest piece is maybe like eighty dollars, maybe for some tops, and I might go up to about four twenty on some, like coats or something. But it, the average mm-hmm. price point is around two hundred to two fifty for the average piece. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But so but not, you get nice quality. Oh, absolutely. I think it's um I think it's extremely fairly priced for what it is, if you were to compare it to things that are in straight size on the same level, it's it's very much so underpriced. And I get big so, size straight size girls all the time for it. Like, can you make this in a size two? And I always say no, because you have options. But it's like, you know, they know because they know what's out there and what the prices are in their in their range. Right, right. Now, 2015 was a big year for you. You opened your Atlanta showroom which was a major accomplishment. Now, how long was that in the works to get your showroom open? Oh, zero days. It was a. It was absolutely not a goal whatsoever. Um, I because I started online. My very first order, I'll never forget. Uh, well, my first order was L.A. and then the next one was Canada. So when I was selling mm-hmm. on Etsy, and I remember thinking, mm-hmm. I don't know if I want a boutique. Because my my customer immediately started to come from places that weren't Atlanta, and since I couldn't, I wasn't planning to move. I thought I would be an online um, destination for quite some time, so I didn't necessarily need, a, you know, a landmark or a, sto- a storefront. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so I worked, you know, privately for for many many years, and um, I had. I literally just saw space because I needed to just move out. I just needed some space. I needed some space to be able to work a little bit bigger. And I saw a mm-hmm. space coming home, Essence, where I saw you yeah. in um, right. New Orleans, literally driving down the highway. And I called the number, and I rented the place on a Tuesday. I moved in on a Friday. And that was it. What? It was like a huge room. I was, it was, I was not in the works whatsoever. Um, it was enough space for me to work in, and then in the front, I decided to put a small showroom for people who wanted to look because that part, I guess, it did happen organically. Those pop-up shops that I started to do were, like, mm-hmm. eye-opening for sure. That's something I do regret not having done earlier um, mm-hmm. because, it, you know, we, we can't be, especially as an indie, you can't be everywhere. 
You can't be everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so there are going to be people who see stuff online and want to try it on. And I understand that. I understand not being comfortable spending two or $300 on something online that you've never seen, you, never, you don't know if it's going to fit you or flatter you. And so doing the pop-up shops were just like, for me, they were just so endearing to see all these people who have been admirers of my stuff for years that I didn't even know existed get out, get to come out and try the stuff on. And so I was like, hmm, maybe I should have somewhere, you know, stationary. Not that everybody's going to come to Atlanta, but when people do come, I do have somewhere right. for them to come and see some pieces. So it's not like a twofold. I, I work there. Normal. I work there. You know, that's my my workspace. But I also have the showroom, so people can come and look if they need to. So where's the location in Atlanta, and what are the business hours? Um, it's a show. It's a showroom and not a full store. So I do okay. go by appointment. I'm open all day on Saturday from twelve to seven. Um, the address is seventeen seventy five. Will Watt, and that's W-I-L-W-A-T Drive, and that's Sweet mm-hmm. C in Norcross, N-O-R-C-R-O-S-S, Georgia. So we're, Norcross is about maybe 15 minutes outside of the um, Atlanta city limits. Okay. But Monday yeah. through Friday you need an appointment. Yeah, Monday through Friday is appointment only. So the phone number for my assistant is on my website. You can call her at any time, and we pretty much make – you know, there's not a charge for an appointment because I'm usually there anyway. You just, if mm-hmm. you come Monday through Friday, I won't be dressed. <laughs> I'll have on sweatpants because <laughs> I'm working. Because you'll be working. Because <laughs> I'm working. But if you come on Saturday, then, you know, you'll get a, a really pretty uh, associate to assist you instead of me <laughs> in my sweatpants. So are you still going to do pop-up shops now that you have a showroom? Oh, absolutely. I, I would love to do them in more cities. I mean, last year was my first time really jumping out there um, and doing, like, I did New York. I did one in Atlanta even before I did my showroom, which was great, mm-hmm. um, and New Orleans. Mm-hmm. So this year we're going to do Chicago, Atlanta. I already did one in Alabama. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's one planned for D.C., and New Orleans again for the for Essence you Festival. Coming to Essence Festival. Absolutely, oh, yeah. That was that was a great a great experience. I loved it there. So I'll try to add a different city every year, but I think New York and um, New Orleans may be my staples for a while because those are just New York. You already have the full figure fashion events going on, so so many people are already in the city. So it's just mm-hmm. like logical to be there for that, and then. Essence Fest, you have so many women just coming in from everywhere. And they're coming from all over the place. If they can fit in a little shopping time, I'm going to be there. So other cities for sure I'm open to. I just have to find the right cities, the right time. Like L.A., I would love to do, but I'm trying to figure out, like, what's a good time to do L.A. So L.A. is definitely on the list. I just have to figure out a good time to do it. Now, is Jabri available in any boutiques around the country, or is that something in the works? Well, I actually, um, that was where I thought I would be able to show originally when I first started. So I was in, uh, I think at one point up to 27 boutiques when I, uh, in the early parts of my career. But now mm-hmm. the smaller boutiques aren't really doing the higher end plus as much anymore because, you know, mm-hmm. the Instagrammy type stuff, that's mostly mm-hmm. what they carry. So I'm not The in, made in China like, clothes. Exactly, and I understand. I understand that too. I don't get mad at anyone. I understand you start a boutique, 
you have this vision, and then you know bills have to get paid, and you don't, you can't necessarily, you can't necessarily wait on your customer to to grow. So I get it. So mm-hmm. once you start selling the China stuff, you can't really sell something from me. It's, it's you have a, it's totally different customers at that point. Mm-hmm. So I have mm-hmm. kind of pulled out of the wholesale a little bit. Okay. I'm not really doing okay anymore. Yeah. So do you have anything else coming up we need to be on the lookout for? I'm actually going to um, show a, a new collection that has been in the works um, for a while, and I've finally polished it up a little bit. I'm not going to show every single piece, but maybe just a few pieces in New York. Um, I'm going to do a, a small blogger's preview before I start my pop-up shop in June. And so mm-hmm. – uh, it will be a bridal collection that I'm very oh. excited about. Yeah. Wow. Now, what made you want to get into bridal? Um, honestly, just I always I see a need for it. I see. Um, mm-hmm. I just I've seen the same, and I know that when you, when I think of brides when I was younger, I guess as I get older, I just see things differently. I always saw the cupcake type dresses and I knew mm-hmm. that's definitely that's a type of bride, you know, twenty one, you dreamt of this look your whole life, you wanna look like Cinderella, I get it. And right. I never wanted to be there with that. <laughs> never. But then <laughs> um women started to order some of the dresses that I already create in white and they would say, Can you do this in silk? Can you do this in blah 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 because I'm gonna get married. This is my second marriage or this we're going to get married on the beach or we're not gonna do the traditional look. And I would see the pictures, and it would just be so overwhelmingly gorgeous. I was like, wow, there's a contemporary plus-size bride out there as well. There are women who, you know, when you see the salons, remember her look, how gorgeous that was. And that's a Mm -hmm. totally, you know, that's a contemporary look, not at all traditional. Um, And Mm -hmm. so there are women that are plus who also have visions of things that are not necessarily a cupcake look. And so those are the the pieces that I will be providing. And for those type of brides, it's not going to be for everybody, you know, and that's why I'm going to start very small just to kind of put my foot in the water to see, you know, how people react to it. Now, is this the first time you publicly mentioned about doing bridal? Did I just get an exclusive? I I think you might have on this one. I think I kind of mentioned it in a whisper to a blogger, um, like maybe like a year ago, but I had been taking my time to get it done because I wanted them to be, you know, I only wanted to do a few dresses at first, and I just wanted them to be done properly. You know, I'm, I'm big on presentation, so I didn't want to put out something that I wasn't 100% um, dedicated to. And so now I've finally polished those pieces up, and I'm going to show them in June, and and then we'll go from there. Well, that's exciting. I um, Maybe yeah. I'll find a husband and can use one of your dresses soon. <laughs> No, we got to add these to the hope chest. <laughs> right. So I'm so excited for you. I am a fan of your clothing, as you know. I'm, I'm wishing you continued success. Tell us your official website um, so we can keep up with everything Jabri. Okay. Uh, my website is www.jabri, which is J-I-B as in boy, R-I, online, it's one word, dot com. Um, all of my social media tags are under Jabri Online as well. So I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, though I'm still learning how to tweet. So I apologize. You're still learning how to tweet? I know. Don't ask me why. I think I just – I never really got into it because it required you to be so, 
you really have to stay on the tweet, the tweets. You have to like really engage. And I just have never really gotten a chance to really sit down and follow a full conversation on there. So I'm a lot. Well, it better seems on like Instagram. you got Instagram mastered, so you you yeah, would like Instagram, Instagram better. Yeah, I can do Instagram, and I'm I really am going to learn how to how to get the tweets together at some point. And I see I still do everything by myself, so I still like to you know I like it to actually be me. Um, so that's it for me. Just Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at this point, and everything is under Jabri Online. My website is JabriOnline.com, so any contact information that you may need, if you want to make an appointment, if you have any questions, if you're a model that's in Atlanta or in the South or interested in model for Jabri and you're maybe coming through and you just want to meet me, all that information is there. I love to, you know, you never know where these people are, so definitely contact me. Well, Thank you for being a guest on the show. I learned a lot about you tonight. Actually, it was a great interview. And continue success, like I said, continue success with everything that you're doing. All right. Thanks, Shanice. You have a great night. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And thank you to our fabulous guest this evening. If you haven't already, don't forget to like our Facebook fan page at facebook.com slash Shanice Lewis Show. I've been your host this evening, Shanice Lewis. Thank you for tuning in and supporting. Until next time, keep thriving in your curves and be blessed. You've been listening to the Shanice Lewis Show. For more info about the show, visit ShaniceLewisShow.com. Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.